Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Matt Bohach. Matt is the Director of Global Security and Site Operations for the Washington Post. Got to be an interesting job. Matt, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Fred, it's a pleasure and honor to be here, and thanks for having me. Matt, I was looking over your career, which uh, is simply amazing, uh, beginning with uh, the U.S. Marine Corps. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about how you got here? Yeah, for me, I, uh, you know, we had obviously the build up to Iraq um, happening. Um, we, you know, obviously had Iran and North Korea and all these different things happening back in 2002, 2003. And I had never really think, thought that I was going to join the military. You know, my grandparents, both of my grandfathers uh, had joined and served their country uh, during World War II. And for me, it was never really a thought that I would, you know, be uh, in the military or, or the Marine Corps for that matter. But as, as I was in college at the time and as all this was unfolding, particularly with Iraq, um, I just had this call to duty to want to serve my country, uh, and obviously, you know, travel the world and do all the interesting things that, that, uh, military life can provide. So I, I joined the Marines, uh, it was my first choice. <laughs> and, uh, from there I joined the infantry, uh, spent a couple of years uh, with the second battalion, six Marines, uh, did a few deployments, uh, one of which was to Afghanistan for the uh, first ever Afghanistan elections uh, for then president-elect Amit Karzai. Uh, we were the QRF for his, uh, for his team. And then from there, I transferred over to the Marine Corps Embassy Security Group, uh, where I spent the last three years of my time in the Marines uh, doing work at the American embassies overseas. So that was really my entry into, I guess, the security industry. Uh, particularly moving from the infantry over to the Marine Corps Embassy Group, working at the embassies overseas and getting that exposure and experience of uh, what it's like to work in a SOC, uh, doing some you know external uh, protective details for dignitaries uh, and things of that nature. Well, as you know, uh, I'm a former State Department special agent, and uh, obviously we had a long working relationship, storied history with uh, the U.S. Marine Security Guards. And quite frankly, I, I don't know what we would have done without uh, you guys uh, all around the world. It's just amazing, amazing the kind of support that uh, the Marines give to uh, the protection of our personnel around the globe. I've always said it's the best kept secret in the Marine Corps. Uh, there's not a lot of Marines that know about this job, uh, and maybe more will know after this podcast. But um, it's definitely it's it was hands down the best decision I ever made. You know, getting my top secret security clearance, um, leaving the grunts, right, leaving the infantry side of the Marine Corps, uh, <laughs> the, the ditch digging and and all that comes along with that, and then transitioning into you know spit and polish, standing in front of ambassadors and foreign dignitaries. Uh, you know, within a three to four month period, once I got out of Quantico, 
uh, was a pretty pretty big adjustment. But for me, it was it was great. Uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it was the best decision I made, and it allowed me to really network as well. And, and tra- for that transition period that that ended up happening after my three years and after the time that I got out, allowed me to to be exposed to to the State Department and to DSS and to the Secret Service and all the other branches that are at uh, specific embassies overseas, uh, and just get that sort of civilian side of the house um, out away from the military. And from the Marine Corps, you went into uh, the Gavin De Becker group, which uh, I'm a big fan of what Gavin has done. Uh, he's built an amazing, amazing uh, business and was one of the first into this executive protection space. With my time at Gavin De Becker, uh, they, they do a great job of finding what it is that you're great at and then applying that to fill gaps within the organization and serving clients' needs. Uh, so I think that's one of the greatest assets that I found in myself there was finding out what I was really good at uh, and, you know, communicating with clients on a daily basis, uh, running security programs uh, and just being a resource to to clients and to the firm and really trying to, uh, you know, continue to to do a great job on a daily basis. Yeah, his organization, uh, I'm sure you were very proud of your association with it, has made a significant impact to the industry over the years. and. Uh, it's really such an amazing success story. Now, your current job, Matt, I grew up in the D.C. area. I, I, I'm from uh, Bethesda, Chevy Chase area, and and certainly uh, the Washington Post uh, is, is one of those uh, newspapers that everybody in Washington and around the world reads. Uh, so I can imagine, as the director of global security there, that uh, the challenges uh, are pretty unique. I would say so as well, uh, Fred. You know, it's it's we have, you know, here in 2022, we have a lot of challenges we're faced with. Um, in my five years that I've been here, you know, I was fortunate to come into uh, this organization with sort of a blank slate. Uh, I had sort of uh, you know free reign to come in and and uh, you know turn things upside down and and make some. Some really great changes in a short period of time, uh, and I've built this program out over the last five years with the support of my leadership. Um, but for me, there's definitely, you know, there's not a day that goes by that we're not dealt with, you know, a new a new set of challenges. Uh, you know, having journalists all over the world, and you know, domestically dealing with all the civil unrest that we've, you know, has come to you know plague our society for the last few years. Um, I think that it's it's a real challenge, you know, trying to find how to protect all of those people. You know, a newsroom of a thousand journalists. You know, um, how how is it that we can put the best strategy in place to protect all of those people out in the field, and then also here at our facilities? Um, and it's not easy. Uh, and we certainly are constantly trying to improve and and uh, you know get better. But um, yeah, it's it's got its challenges. I would say so. We had. Uh... The corporate security director for the Associated Press on not too long ago on a podcast, uh, and I think most people have a little understanding of what's engaged and involved with trying to keep track of journalists that uh, have a very, very important job to do around the world and are in some high threat and very dangerous places. What are some of the things that uh, keep you up at night as you look at protecting those journalists and? in these war zones or other kinds of hotspots? There's quite a few, actually. I mean, when you think about the, the 
type of work that our journalists are engaged in and really just the industry, um, you know, our folks are running towards the fire, right? And whereas most other people are moving in the opposite direction. So, you know, and from a, you know, practitioner perspective and, you know, you know, providing security for our journalists and our correspondents and our staff, you know, it can be a real challenge to, you know, put a safety plan in place for, you know, folks that are going to be in that environment. Uh, now, if we're talking about like Ukraine, you know, there's the challenges that come along with that. And, you know, whether we have safety advisors on the ground um, and or not, you know, there's still real challenges with how do we keep our people safe when they're in these environments, uh, particularly war zones. Um, but I think there's, there's an understanding that I've had from the time that I got here um, early on that, you know, this is a different this is a different beast altogether. This is not like, you know, traditional EP, if there is such a thing. But there's no, you know, we're not protecting the C-suite here, right? A newsroom of a thousand journalists is different than trying to protect them than it is, you know, an executive. And so that my mindset has had to uh, shift in order for me to be effective and to not, um, you know, alienate basically a lot of our staff, because really the safety recommendations that we provide to an executive, you provide those same safety recommendations to, you know, a journalist going into a civil unrest protest or, you know, going into Ukraine or anywhere around the, the globe, um, most of those best practice recommendations uh, are not going to be, you know, they're going to fall on deaf ears, unfortunately. So it's it's really just, you know, developing those relationships with uh, our staff, with our people, with our leadership, and, you know, putting the best strategy in place so they can still do their job, but yet we can still be there to assist them with that. Um, you know, if I was there trying to direct them as I was going to direct be directing the CEO, um, you know, there's, there's two different, uh, there are two different playing fields. So it's, that's something that I learned early on that's really helped me within my five years over here at the post is that like, I have to, you know, I have to put down that, that, that EP hat of this is the way I've been taught my entire career, how EP is supposed to work. And I've had to, you know, really just take bits and pieces of that and apply it to journalists in the field and then come up with other safety strategies that really have been around for a long period of time um, to help you know, journalists out there. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial this is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Matt, uh, you raise a very interesting point. Uh, I know back uh, when I was uh, an agent, we had um, journalists that were kidnapped in Beirut and held hostage by Hezbollah, and I ended up debriefing those journalists. during the course of my career, and and also 
trying to recognize or put yourself in their shoes to, you know, they've got a job to do, they're in these hot spots. So from a risk mitigation standpoint, what are the, some of the things that you think about um, prior to either green lighting a journalist going into these areas or even in problematic operational environments today, like even Moscow or places like Tehran? It's a great question. Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, all the pre-planning, of course, you know, looking at the risk reward of putting somebody in those environments. Um, I think we have over 25 foreign correspondents in 25 different locations around the world now and growing. Um, and we have people obviously in Kabul and Afghanistan and Ukraine. And so, you know, there's a lot that goes into making sure that our people are safe. Uh, I think communications is key ensuring that we have the right equipment to properly communicate with our staff. Uh, obviously, you know, without getting into too much detail, I think tracking is important. Um, understanding that we have the ability to monitor our people um, when they're asleep and when they're on the move. Um, and I think that just giving them those risk assessments and briefs ahead of time to know what the risks are in their current location, um, the resources that they're going to have locally, and then the additional resources that we can provide from D.C. or from London or any other or other locations, hubs uh, around the globe, uh, and just really giving them all the tools necessary to be uh, effective in what they're there to do uh, and to feel as safe as possible. And really, the collaboration between other news organizations is important as well. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of those other news groups, uh, we all collaborate on the ground and. I think there's great communication amongst uh, all of uh, the news industry, particularly in the war zones. Uh, so that's helpful. Uh, but I think just making sure that our staff understand what the expectations are, what the risk is, uh, and what the resources are that we can provide them with uh, as they move forward. Matt, when you look at uh, the pressure that uh, news agencies are on today, just due to the horrendous political dynamics that uh, are taking place in America today, I uh, I can only imagine that added stressor into the corporate security space. Uh, what is that like from where you sit in trying to just balance uh, the the threat landscape as you look at the politics of America today? It's very challenging. Uh, I would say, you know, attacks against journalists really uh, is one indication, of, you know, in the field have gone up since I believe 2016, 2017, um, you know, when we've started to move into more of this, you know, quote unquote, fake news uh, era. And, you know, I think there, but prior to that, there's been a lot of, um, there, there was previous attacks on news organizations. I mean, everything multiple times on, you know, Charlie Hebdo attacks. Right. Um, Obviously, one that's hit really close to home here at the Post in Washington is the Capitol Gazette shooting over in Annapolis, Maryland. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think and then just your, you know, the harassment and the attacks we've seen out in protests and things like that. You know, and I think if you have to look at law enforcement as well, law enforcement, I think, look at journalists different than they did 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, you know, whereas we used to be um, considered, uh, you know, bystanders, if you will, now we're kind of being lumped in with the groups on the ground. And we're not being, even with the press, press credentials that we're wearing and the press 
you know, uh, vests and helmets and everything else, the gear that we have on, uh, properly identifying ourselves to law enforcement and, and to the protesters, you know, we're still, we're still being targeted. Uh, and those, those targets have gone up tremendously over the last couple of years. So there's, there's definitely challenges um, all around. And as I mentioned with the Capital Gazette, I think that's changed a lot uh, within the news industry. I mean, obviously we have a lot of you know, tragic mass murders that, that happen in every industry. And we've seen that unfold more over the last year, uh, particularly with, you know, Buffalo and at a grocery store and Uvalde at a school. And, you know, with the, with the Capital Gazette, you know, that hit directly uh, at home with what we do in our industry here. Um, and I think there's a lot of lessons to learn from that. And that's something that I try to lean on with all of these tragic uh, occurrences is what can we learn from them? And with the Capital Gazette, there's a lot of takeaways that, you know, I, I'm hopeful that other news organizations uh, had learned from, uh, and certainly we did as well. You know, over the years, Matt, and I've been in this business since the uh, 1980s, it, it's, uh, we are all somewhat kindred spirits when it comes to the protection of people and property and places and so forth. So in your industry, in your sector, is there a fair amount of cooperation? I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be um, a lot of the industry tends to operate in silos, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, I have great support and leadership here at The Washington Post uh, to be able to break down some of those barriers. And I think in my time here, we've done a really good job of doing that um, to get that cooperation, uh, to let folks know that we are here as a resource to them. We are here to support them. Um, we understand the mission, uh, and you know, there's nothing that um, we haven't seen before. And I think that um, you know, a lot of journalists are really just tend to operate in their own bubble, um, not just away from security, but just the company in general sometimes. Um, and you know, it's really just trying to break through to some of those folks, especially the higher profile uh, journalists that are forward facing and, and really receiving a lot more uh, active threats. Uh, to be able to provide them with an understanding of what it is security does, how we can help them, and then really showing them uh, through example of that. And we have countless examples here um, in my time where we could point to where we've helped a journalist out with an issue, whether it was a physical security issue, uh, threat assessments, uh, privacy, uh, and really the list goes on. And most of those journalists have walked away you know, very appreciative of the services that we provided them with. And really, um, I think that that catches, catches on and, you know, journalists talk. And uh, we've seen uh, a lot more of our population coming to us uh, for support uh, year on end since I've been here. And, I, and my hope is that trend will continue and we'll continue to get the buy-in. We'll continue to get the support from the leadership uh, here at The Post and that the uh, you know, the newsroom will continue to come to us with their issues because really that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to support them and their mission. And uh, that's the most important thing for me is to make sure that they can effectively, safely do their job. Um, and and sometimes the biggest hurdle is just communication. It's just letting them know what, letting them and having them inform us of what their problems are and letting them know that there are resources in place here to help support them and, and what they do for a living. Matt, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? No, Fred, um, you know, just really for me, the only thing I would mention is, you know, in a world full of distractions, you know, I'm really always trying to, 
to practice, you know, better self-awareness, you know, which is really just getting back to the basics. Uh, and I touched on this recently in a, in, a, in another uh, podcast, but just really focusing in on, you know, I tried to focus in on what I practicing, what I preach uh, with self-awareness and, you know, creating a better security posture for yourself and for your family and for your coworkers. Um, and there's so much that can be done in that regard. Uh, there's so many distractions out there nowadays with, with social media and our phones and tablets, and computers and uh, travel and everything that we have going on in 2022 that I think that there's a lot of basic things that we can do from a privacy perspective and then a, a security perspective to keep us safe. And a lot of it just comes down to greater self-awareness of understanding where we're at, what we're doing, who's around us, um, and just paying attention. And I think that sometimes we we try to look to larger scale, uh, you know, resources or things to uh, help mitigate uh, the, the the security landscape and some of the issues that we're dealing with today. But really, a lot of it comes down to just self awareness and getting, you know, from in my case, getting our employees here at the post to understand, you know, that self awareness, that understanding of you know, what to do in an emergency, whether you're in the workplace or whether you're at home or you're at your kid's soccer game, you know, understanding where you're at and the things that you can do to protect yourself and to protect your family uh, are critical and to not rely, unfortunately, to not rely upon, even though they will be there, um, to try not to rely upon, you know, simply just waiting for law enforcement or for the security detail or security team to show up, um, really empowering people to take a greater uh, sense of, um, you know, you know, pride in protecting themselves. Matt Bohach is the Director of Global Security and Site Operations for the Washington Post. Matt, we really appreciate you being on the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast today. Thank you so much, Fred. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smokin' Nobles. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.